You're listening to a podcast from 702. 702. The car feature with Nicole Lowe. Nicole Lowe, how are you doing? Very well yourself. I am great. It's, it's our first time together. Yes, uh, welcome to the car future. Happy <laughs> to meet you. Thank Hopefully you. We can we can teach you a lot about cars. I hope so because you know, for me, I think my my criteria is just very simple and basic. And when I need it fixed, I still call the men in my family to help. But today, I'm excited to learn because you want to be talking about cam belts versus. You, you need to explain what is a cam belt. Okay, so a cam belt or a cam chain. So if you've got an internal combustion engine, you'll have one of those, most likely. And what it is, it's a, it's a component that fits between the cam, uh, the crankshaft and the camshaft of the engine. So that sounds already uh, confusing, eh? But what it really does is it, it, uh, the, it, it, the, the cam belt will actually open and close the valves at exactly the right time compared to the, the piston movement, so the stroke of the engine. Intake stroke, the intake valves must open to let the fresh air in, negative compression stroke where both valves are closed, and exhaust stroke is when the exhaust gases go out the engine, out past the exhaust valve, and then it needs to be open. So to get that timing right, because remember, uh, engine uh, revolutions can go up very high, and that timing of the valve opening versus piston movement needs to be perfect. Um, for the engine to run. So you can imagine with most of the modern engines being interference engines, which means that if that valve or that chain would break, then your pistons will meet the valves and it will be massive damage to the engine at great cost as well. Um, so your, your, your vehicle, you need to make sure is it fitted with a cam belt or a cam chain. So let's just quickly look at the pros and cons of each. Before you so, say the pros and cons, so is this the one that's actually also called a timing belt? That is correct. Okay. Yes, okay. It's the timing of the valves relating to the, to the piston. Movement. Yes. So, yeah, so if we can start with cam belts, that's the one that's normally in your service book as well. You'll have a service interval of about between, say, 90 and 150,000 kilometers or between three and five years. You need to change it in your engine. The reason is so that the belts don't last the entire life of the engine. They're cheaper to manufacture than change, so it's a cost saving for the manufacturer. There's also some positives. They are quieter than, than change. Uh, and they also, uh, there's less energy, less parasitic loss on your engine if you have a cam belt versus a cam chain. But the problem is you have to change it. Um, and then, uh, as I mentioned, there's a time frame to change it and a mileage to change it, whichever comes first. So you can't say that, oh, but I haven't driven a lot in the last three years. Why do I need to change my belt? But it's timing and it's mileage. So just make sure that you, you know what that is for your specific vehicle. So on the chain side, the chain is more expensive, but it's also more robust. So most engines that's got a timing chain uh, would not, will not need replacement of the, that chain for the entire life of, of that vehicle. There's some instances where very high mileages, the chain can stretch and you probably need to, to chain it after a while. But in general, timing chain, you don't have to worry about it. It's for the life of the vehicle. So that's why I would say make sure that you know the engine that's in your vehicle is fitted with a cam belt or a cam chain because that changes a lot costing-wise for servicing and then reliability in the long run, especially if you've got a belt and you don't change it on time. And I mean, a lot of us, and I'm speaking just about how I deal with my vehicle, is I literally just entrust 
the people that I'm taking it to when there's a problem to fix the problem without them even explaining what it's about. Yes, so it should be, it is for, if you have a cam belt in your engine, it should be with the servicing plan or the servicing schedule of the vehicle, it should be noted there. And as I say, they will normally talk about, oh, that's a big service, you're coming for a big service. Yes. And that's normally the one where the cam belt needs to be changed. So as I say, it's between 90 and 150,000 kilometers. It can be, it can vary depending on model. And between three and five years, they'll say, oh, you're coming for your 120,000 kilometers, that will mm. be your cam belt change, it will be expensive. But as I say, that is, if you service with a manufacturer on the um, service plan, it will definitely be there. If you take your vehicle to a specialist dealer still, they would know what needs to be done at what service interval. But, I mean, if you take it to the backyard mechanic that doesn't care about it, maybe he would not do the cam belt change when it's supposed to happen. And I say the risk is then that that belt can snap, and then you've got massive problems. There's a big damage to your engine. So... Yeah, make sure what your, your car is fitted with or your engine is fitted with and uh, at the service center that your service is knowledgeable about that vehicle model and know when it's a belt change is needed. So so what are the signs, though, that your cam belt needs replacing if it doesn't fall within um, those time frames or those kilometer ranges? So just repeat, what is the risk? No, as in what is the sign that it would need to be replaced if it doesn't fall within that major service? So if I'm driving my car, what is that thing that would tell me I'm in trouble and my cam belt needs to be replaced? Uh, okay, some vehicle models actually got a, a light on the instrument cluster that will come up at a certain mileage when the cam belt is due. But mostly there's nothing. So you need to know, it will be if you open the service book of your vehicle, um, you'll see that the service intervals normally is between 10 and 20,000 kilometers. And so you'll have like, say, for example, 20, 40, 60, 80, 100. And it will mention in the service book, maybe at 100, 120 or wherever the, the service interval is determined for the cam belt, it will say the cam belt service needed. Um, so obviously your manufacturer, when you take it to the manufacturer service center, that will all be on the system when it needs to be done. But it's just when you take it to a backyard mechanic or some specialist that might not know that that's really becomes a bit of a problem. And it's also quite a tricky job to get right because you can imagine, we talk about timing, and if you look at the belt itself, it's got teeth. It's a toothed belt. So if, if you get the, the, the timing incorrect, so the number of teeth between the pulleys, for example, uh, you get that uh, wrong, then the timing of the engine will be out and it won't run as it's supposed to. So you need a specialist really to do a, a cam belt service properly and it's, as I say, very important. All right, and we're chatting to Nicole Lowe in our car feature, former technical editor for Car Magazine. And this is your opportunity to have a chat uh, with him, 11 SMS 31702, tweet at M. use the hashtag 702 afternoons and the WhatsApp line 072-7021702. Maybe you have a question around what we're talking about, cam belts and cam chains or, or cam chains. Uh, alternatively, if you have a technical or mechanical question for your car this is your opportunity 702 the car feature with nicole low we're taking your calls sms's tweets and whatsapps all of your technical questions for nicole low we start with zane in bedford view hi zane hi uh nicolette how are you can proceed sorry sorry about that go ahead zane nicole is listening 
Yes, uh, I have a 2005 Land Rover Discovery 3. I uh, have a error on the dash, which is a park brake fault. Uh, so the vehicle is unable to get off the handbrake and uh, unable to go to drive or reverse. Any ideas what I need to do? Well, it sounds like it's uh, it, obviously it's an electrical park brake, so there must be something wrong with the system. Um, an auto electrician would probably be able to tell you easily what is what is wrong with it. The problem is if it defaults to engage, which it probably is, then you can't drive the vehicle. So yes. I would say there must be a way of disconnecting it, either by pulling a fuse in the fuse box or even just reading the, the owner's manual because there must be an override to the system because you need to take the vehicle somewhere to, to get it fixed. And if it's spark brake is continuously on, that is a big problem. So uh, the, the electric parking brake obviously has got an electric motor and a mechanism that will that will engage the, the park brake, and somehow now it doesn't want to disengage. So I would say auto electrician will easily sort it out or will, let you, will show you what the problem is. But first of all, just see if you can override the system somehow by, first of all, checking your owner's manual if there's an override. And uh, the other step is always to Google to see if there's an override. Maybe you can just pull a fuse and it will disengage or something like that. Well, I did do a little bit of research. Uh, apparently, there's a, there is an emergency brake release under the, the, the gear lever. Uh, apparently, it's quite uh, difficult to actually release it. Uh, but other than that, they, they also recommended it's a brake modulator that needs to be replaced. Yeah, our diagnostic test will probably show you exactly what is wrong with it. Because it's obviously electric park brakes. So either it's not getting a signal or it's not getting power. Um, I, I don't think it's a mo it, or if the electric motor burned out, that's maybe a big problem. But I don't think it will be a big problem. The one that you read about the override at the gear lever, that might be to get it out of park. Um, obviously, if the engine is, is not running and uh, or car cannot start and you want to push the vehicle around, it's stuck in park and you can't move it. So there is an override at the gear lever, but that's to get it into neutral so that you can actually move the vehicle uh, when, when it's automatic. So I think you have to check for handbrake override. There must be some way to do a handbrake override. Maybe one of the listeners has also got a Discovery 3 or 4 and can tell us exactly how it's done because it must be possible. All right, uh, Zane in Bedford View. Brenda in Randburg, uh, go ahead. Yes, good afternoon to both of you. I'm interested in buying a mini miner. Now, nobody talks about a mini miner. I've never heard it on the show. What are your thoughts, please? Is it the mini miner, the original one, the old one, or talking about the new modern minis? All right, it's 2005. It looks very modern to me. <laughs> yeah, no, that would definitely be. Uh, I mean, I know the Mini Coopers, the Mini Countrymen. Sorry, uh, sorry. You know what? I made a mistake. Excuse me. It's the Mini Cooper. Oh, the Mini, Mini Cooper. Cooper. Okay. okay. I also was wondering about the, the Mini. Cooper. Do you know which model it is? Well, you know, there's no model. They call it the three door. Okay. They call uh, it the three door. Yes. All right, Nicole, is the Mini there? Cooper. Yeah, so so in general, obviously, um, we talk more about the technical issues on the rather than car buying advice. But from a personal yes, point of view, yes, a Mini, yes. a mini is, a, is a lovely car to drive. It's very dynamic. 
but it's also very, it's got a very firm ride. It's got a very small boot. So I don't know if you need to carry people because in a Mini 1 you, or Mini Cooper, you won't be able to carry much more than two people and maybe small children in the back. It's a very small boot. But it feels like a little go-kart to drive. So if you enjoy, enjoy your driving, you want something small that's easy to park, easy to get around with, yes, perfect. And obviously, it's owned by BMW, so your service center will all go through the BMW service center. Um, and, yeah, so f- from a buying point of view, it's it's not bad. But just keep, keep in mind that it's a, sort of a luxury little hatch. So when it comes to servicing, maintenance costs, that will be much higher than your normal run-of-the-mill the sort of hatchbacks, if you talk about your VW Polos and so on, the Mini is more expensive when it comes to parts and, and so on, labor and that. All right, that's Brenda in Randburg. So, Nicole, we have somebody who, uh, Anton on the WhatsApp line, who says, Rear Land Rover, there is a loop behind the gear lever under the little cover. Need to pull it to release the handbrake. And then they say a bad word. It's a bad word to pull. It's the B word. <laughs> Excellent. I knew, I knew somebody would know it. Yes. Google knows, but uh, at least we've got knowledgeable listeners. Yes, yes. Okay, uh, somebody says, hi, I have a China Star 1.3. Now and then feel like pinging noise. Okay, the pinging noise uh, is more of the older cars. We always talked about pinging or, or knock or auto-ignition. And that is normally it was a phenomenon or it is a phenomenon that occurs if the ignition happens sort of uh, uncontrollably. A normal ignition when an engine, uh, this, uh, when a petrol engine that is, is spark ignition. So the spark will actually light the, the combustion mixture or the, the intake, the fuel-air mixture. And it's actually a very controlled burning process. So it's wrong to talk about the explosion in the engine. It's really a, a controlled burning process, but what knock or ping or auto-ignition is, is an uncontrolled burning phenomenon that can actually damage your engine. So normally that would happen with all the engines if you, if you run your spark timing too advanced or if you have too much compression ratio or the fuel that you use, the octane rating is too low. But in modern vehicles, they've got a, a, what we call a knock sensor. So it should actually take care of that scenario to prevent it by either retarding the ignition timing or it's a few things that the engine control unit can do when it detects knock. So for me, it's very strange. I'm not sure in this case uh, the, the, the age of the vehicle, the mileage. Um, I, I doubt that it can be auto-ignition. Maybe it's something else. Um, but yeah, without hearing it myself, it's difficult to comment. All right. Um, Jesse in four ways. Go ahead. Hi, Rebokila. First time caller. Welcome. Um, I'd like to ask, thank you. I'd like to ask Nico. So, uh, how long does airbags on a car last? I have a, a, a Hyundai Sonata that somebody bumped into me, um, a couple of weeks ago and my airbag light came on when I took it to insurance. That that was the first time the airbag light came on. And when I took it to insurance, um, they took the car for a diagnostic test at the Hyundai, and um, the report said driver airbag resistance too high, first stage. And the insurance refused to pay for the airbags because um, the assessor says it's um, wear and tear. Ooh, that's interesting. Uh, Nicole? Yeah, I don't think there's anything like wear and tear on an airbag. It should last for the life of the, the vehicle. 
so it's not a it's not a serviceable item. So wear and tear would apply to something like your brakes or your clutch or something like that. Airbags, same with timing change we discussed right in the beginning of the program, should last and it's designed to last for the life of the vehicle. So if there's no prior errors on the airbag system, so you then in, and then after the crash, then suddenly you get this error. It sounds very much like the crash acted on your airbag system. But remember, uh, your airbag consists of several sensors, and not just the airbag. It's a sensor that detects the actual crash. There's a control module that determines which of the airbags must be deployed, and also there's thresholds in that control. So you don't want the airbag to deploy if it's just like a little uh, car bump in a, in a car park, a, a fender bender, as we call them, and also the direction of the accident. So if it's a rollover, you, for example, you your curtain airbags to go off. If it's a frontal accident, you need the front airbags to go off. If you hit from the back, then there's no point of the, the front airbags going off because your, your, your body will actually whiplash towards the rear. So all that is taken into account. And also important is that the system checks if your seatbelt is connected or not. So in many modern vehicles, you have a seatbelt detection uh, sensor there, and you've got a, a sensor under the seat that actually monitors if somebody's sitting on the seat. Because remember that airbag, when it goes off, it's quite violent, and it needs to ensure that your body position is correct for that airbag to protect you. If it goes off when your body position isn't correct, it can actually hurt you, even kill mm, you. So, mm, um, mm. so the, the, the correct thing to do was to get a diagnostic check and make sure, is the problem really with the airbag module itself or is it any of the other sensors that feed into the system? that is giving you the problem. But uh, I don't buy the story that it's a serviceable item. It's not. It should last the lifetime of the vehicle. So uh, bad luck for the insurance. I think they'll have to cough up on this one. We're going to have to leave it there. Uh, former technical editor for Car Magazine, Nicolo, on our car feature.